0: Welcome to The Ringer NBA Show. I'm Kevin O'Connor, staff writer at TheRinger.com. This is Draft Class, our new show airing every Friday in which we'll break down the 2018 NBA draft. Calling in on the
1: other line from Dallas, Texas, is fellow Ringer staff writer, Jonathan Chalks. That was a very sultry introduction. I liked it. So we're recording this on Valentine's Day. I hope you guys are not spending the whole day watching basketball, spending time with someone special in your life. (laughs) I might have slid
0: into the DMs of somebody, but I'm not too optimistic about it, because I'm married to the game anyway. How about you, Producer Isaac?
2: Well, I'll be editing this podcast tonight, so I guess I'm uh, married to my work. Oh,
0: sacrifice. Love it. <laughs> That's Isaac Lee, producer of the show, sacrificing love for audio, especially for today's show, because we have Danny Chow joining us to talk about lessons learned from the 2015 NBA draft and how it applies today, and he'll give his take on the top 10 pick everybody's overlooking.
1: We'll also bring out our crystal ball again to predict the future for Marvin Bagley and close out with grades from Professor Isaac. Okay,
0: it's time for class. Joining us from Los Angeles is the man with the taste buds equipped to spit the hottest draft takes in the universe. It's the Ringer's associate editor, Danny
3: Chow. Hello. I am happy to be here. And I'm I'm here with my two writers. I edit
1: yeah, both of you guys. Absolutely. I, it's a yeah. pleasure working with both of you. You have the best words, Danny. Doesn't he, Charles? Oh. Yeah, Danny's really writing our articles, if that's not obvious. <laughs> we're just we're just front men. <laughs> we're just pretty faces.
0: Well, this week, we along with Justin Barrier redrafted the 2015 NBA draft, which you can find on the ringer.com. And while you're there, please check out Planet Earth's best college basketball show, One Shining Podcast with Titus and Tate on the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll have Titus and Tate. On here at some point in the coming weeks, hopefully during March Madness. But today, we're going to focus on knowledge gained from the 2015 draft and how that can be applied with a kind of similar 2018 draft. So, Charks, to give our listeners some
1: context, let's run through the top five, the greatest risers and fallers from our redraft on the ringer. In the top five, we had Towns at one, which I think everyone kind of agreed with. And then you went two with Devin Booker, who was 13 in the 2015 draft, Mm -hmm. by far the biggest jumper. Then we rounded it out with Chris Tops Porzingis at three, Miles Turner at four. And I swung for the fences with Kelly Oubre at 5, <laughs> ooh, another ooh. big riser. And Josh Richardson rose from 40 to 8,
0: Miami Heat pick in real life. Jaleel Kafour fell out of our lottery pick. Emilio Mudiay did as well, so did Frank Kaminsky and Mario Hazonia. Danny, I mean, do you, do you have a key takeaway from what happened
1: almost three years later now? Actually, Mario was in there, to give Danny his credit. He snuck him back in at 11. He yes. fell from
3: 5 to 11. Yes, so that is a significant drop, but not quite as significant as, say, Jaleel Okafor going Mm -hmm. from number three to number literally nothing. Like, he was not a part of our discussion at all. And that's kind of the biggest thing I would say is him, Frank Kaminsky, guys who, you know, we saw kind of dominate college being big guys who, you know, were multi-skilled, multi-dimensional, but they just didn't really have a modern slant
0: to the game. Those guys kind of fell to the wayside. Charks, how about you? What's your key takeaway from our redrafts?
1: Yeah, I think that's part of it, one. And I think part of it, too, is just a guy like Josh Richardson, it's like with wings, if you can get a good, solid 3-and-D wing, the floor on a guy like that can be a lot higher than the floor on guys like Justice or Stanley Johnson, where you're waiting for that three-point shot.
0: I think that's really my key takeaway there from the draft is, you know, Justice Winslow is a guy I had ranked second at one point. You know, and Stanley Johnson, I didn't like quite as much, but I still liked him a bunch. And with those guys, the question then was... Well, can they shoot a jumper? You know, can they have a consistent jumper? And Justice Winslow shot around 40% from three. So there were some people, were well, like, yeah, his shot doesn't look great, but you know, the shots go in. And that's a question I have myself asking with some of the guys in this year's draft, with Marvin Bagley, whose shot it's falling, but it doesn't look great to me with Mo Bamba as well. I feel that with Jaron Jackson. There's a handful of guys in the top 10 who aren't necessarily wings or forwards, but I'm looking at their percentages and I'm not sure it's aligning with what I see with the eye test. Right.
1: Yeah, I would say too, it's like these days, you want the shot to be the foundation of everything else. Like I'm not convinced Oubre is better at a lot of things than Stanley or Justice Winslow, but Oubre's got the jumper and everything else builds off that. And so if that's your foundation, I feel like it's easier to get minutes. It's easier to find a role. And once you have roles, it's easier to grow on that.
0: Danny, with with Kelly Oubre, I mean, he's somebody who, I didn't like at all in the drafts. Mm. Uh, I looked at him and just saw way too raw, not a guy that I really wanted to bank on. A lot of people viewed him as like a top 10 guy, and, and you know, Charks correctly drafted him fifth. I mean, I don't think I would have taken him that high, but five to eight range. Is there a guy really in this year's draft that the Ubre raw kind of mold applies to when you're kind of scouting ahead with the 2018 drafts?
3: Well, with Ubre, what I saw from... 2015 was just he was a guy who had the perfect frame mm-hmm. for you know a modern wing huge shoulders long wingspan athletic I didn't really see a lot of you know shot creation ability in Kansas and I still kind of don't see no, that now just because he's buried under you know two of the most talented scores in the east with Bradley Beal and John Wall so you're not really seeing that yet but I can see why Charks is so high
0: on him, in a way, isn't that okay? I mean, like last week, Sharks and I talked about Jaron Jackson and how he's such an easier to guy to fit in than some of these other guys who you're imagining as you know your franchise level player. But maybe there's some logic to being a, a tick higher on those guys who you imagine plugging into that more complementary role. We're talking about guys like Michael Bridges, even you mm-hmm. know somebody like that or Miles. I bridges, love Bridges. For that That's my guy. So you know, with both the Bridges. <laughs> Charks, I mean, are those kind of guys that you envision, well, maybe they're going to go late lottery, but when we redraft three, four, or five years from now, that those are the guys, well, how'd they not go in the top five?
1: Yeah, I really think with Michael Bridges especially, I feel like, as like we're saying, his ceiling, maybe the shot creation isn't as high. But if you look around the league, how many teams need three and D wings who can shoot 40% from three and guard three positions? Everyone. Whereas like a guy like Bagley, even, he has to be in the perfect situation. Whereas a guy like Bridges... Anywhere is a good situation for him. So you have a pretty good confidence he will succeed in the NBA. You mentioned situation. We touched
0: on this a little bit last week, but with guys like DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Mo Bamba... I think Carl Towns fell into a great spot in Minnesota. He had Kevin Garnett, you know, with him as a rookie. Tom Thibodeau was hired, and granted, Towns has been up and down defensively. I think it's been a good developmental situation in Minnesota. Have we learned anything from what Towns has fallen into that might apply or help? Like, what's the ideal situation for someone like DeAndre Ayton, Danny? Danny?
3: what's interesting with the Towns Aiden comparison is that I feel like only recently Towns has actually gotten really comfortable in his body. Mm. I remember watching him in the McDonald's All-American game and he was just like a guy with like a lot of baby fat. He was like, <laughs> you know, Obviously clearly talented, but there was still some kind of coordination issues. When I watched him, I was like, oh, so he's basically who JaVale McGee thinks he is as a player. <laughs> you know? And yeah. and you know, now he's shooting 42% from three. He's he's dominating inside and out on offense. I just feel like with Aiden, he's been the most imposing player for like most of his life. And he he hasn't
0: really gone through that like awkward stage. So it's kind of different. I don't know. For sure. No, you know, I think. They had a different upbringing, and I'm sure that certainly is going to play a factor with you know their mindset. But I look at some of like the scouting reports for Towns back in 2015 and look at Aiton today, and there's a lot of the same questions. It's like, well, you know, effort comes and goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, how good are his instincts? You know, he bites for pump fakes. There's questions like that with Towns back in 2015, and to be honest— Charks, I mean, those questions are still there, even though he's made some progress. With with Aiton, is that where you kind of are like, well, why not just take the high IQ guy when we've learned that some of these flaws never get fixed?
1: Yeah, and I would say, too, I would say Towns was significantly ahead of Aiton. Like, I feel like with Aiden, it's he bites a pump fake, so it's more, does he have consistent effort? Whereas Towns was like, he's playing really hard a lot. He was the captain of an elite defense. Arizona's out of the top 200. And they have a stacked roster full of athletes. Yeah, right. And if you look at the problem, it's like defending the rim. And that goes right back to Aiton. And as far as the situation, can we just say not the Kings? Like, <laughs> don't put the in Sacramento. <laughs> that would not end well, I don't think. Yeah.
0: yeah, I would say for most players, or all players for that matter, I would just, just avoid the Kings. Yeah, just avoid I mean, them. yeah, just don't work away. out
1: with... What was it last year? Like, they don't work out with them two years ago? Like... It's a tough place to go, man. Is there such a
0: thing as like a player that you do want to land on the Kings, though? I mean, somebody has to go there. They're going to have a high
1: pick. I would say, like with the Kings, I would want Luca or Jackson, someone like. Who's okay. just going to be good wherever they go. Someone who doesn't need a context around them. Someone who can just kind of make it work. Someone who doesn't need to be developed. They have a high floor, basically. Almost kind of like with De'Aaron Fox, one of those
0: culture changer types of guys where, like De'Andre Ayton, you might be a little bit worried there because you want him surrounded by veteran influences. You know, a coach is really going to push him on defense and examples to follow. But that, that's a great point. I think for someone like Doncic, he's someone that could go there and actually change the culture of the team and turn it into something along with Aaron Fox that maybe
1: players want to go to. Right. Oh, i will be plug plug uh, my article on Bogdan Bogdanovich coming. Potential ooh, color change in Sacramento.
3: Yeah. Chark spent some time with Bogdanovich down in Dallas for okay. last night's Bogdan game. Bogdan so. Bogdanovich. Yep. Yep.
1: Hell yeah. By the think- way, he's a very handsome man. I was quite Whoa, impressed. Like, man. Wow. Kind eyes. <laughs> Looks, of course,
0: as we talked about on Tuesday's Ringer NBA show, are the number one trait that you look for when scouting basketball players.
3: It's all about charisma. You know, know, facial features plays a big part in that.
0: (laughs) Number one, gotta be charismatic, gotta have great posture, according to our discussion on Tuesday. But anyway, in the 2015 draft, the season started out where most people had Jaleel Okafor... Ahead of Carl Towns. He's a winner, man. He's he's won every single step he he was at, you know? I mean, he's going to bring back the low post. He's going to change the NBA. Forget all these shooters. Okafor is going to be the classic big man in the league. But that changed pretty quickly. That December, I think, Towns started to move ahead a lot of people's boards. Then in January and February, around this time, it it became consensus. Towns is the number one prospect. Is there a guy this season that can separate in your eyes, Danny? I mean— are we counting Doncic? Well, because, focusing strictly on the big. Okay.
3: So. Well, I feel like it's Ayton. The way in which he can go from the high post down to the low block mm-hmm. in like half a second against any player in America right now is just you don't see that, and the grace and ease in which he does it. When I watch Bagley play, and when I see him kind of do his Brandon Wright impression, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's, it's kind of worrying <laughs> oh, for me. Yeah. Like I, I see, I see the numbers. <laughs> but I don't see it necessarily translating quite as well as Aiden.
1: Are you on the same page, Charks? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Aiden's ceiling is higher than Bagley's. When you watch Aiden, like, he's just so freaking big, man. It even makes even, like, big guys look small. Like, he's 18, 19, like Stephen Adams size already.
0: I think with 8-2, you know, even beyond the physicality, beyond his body and his physical dimensions, I think his passing has impressed me. I really appreciate his intensity on the floor. He's very emotional. I like seeing that out of a big man. A guy's going to anchor your defense. I think he's somebody, if you put him in the right situation, he's going to adapt and learn how to really be that anchor that your defense needs. I mean, in a bad situation, he might continue to have the same problems in terms of, like, not being able to help from the weak side, reading the floor a little bit slowly. But, uh, look, man, I think th- in the right spot, Aiden could easily become, like, the number one guy in the strategy, right. even over Dontrich for right. that matter.
3: Charks, when you were at the McDonald's All-American last year or two years ago, you had talked to Aiden, and he compared himself to... Kevin Garnett, right? Ooh.
1: Yeah, I remember. It was really quite funny because he had spent the whole practice like not trying, just goofing off. <laughs> then we're talking after. He's like, I'm just KG out there. Man. I love to work hard. And like then he's mm-hmm. like, you know, actually, I'm on the court. I should probably block more shots. Sometimes I just don't want to do it. But I play like KG, too. I mean, Aiden's a funny guy. There's a good story this morning
0: that I haven't read completely yet on The Athletic about Aiden's work ethic and, and you know how hard he works. And it connected with a lot of what I've heard about him. You know, he's really busting his ass you know, at Arizona, trying to make improvements. And that bodes well, man. I mean, he's in a great college situation there. If that can somehow be replicated in the NBA, he could become one of the best bigs in the league. I mean, is there a spot that you like for him moving forward, Danny, in the league? I know what I have in my mind. <laughs> Take, okay. a okay. Take a guess. Take a guess. What's the best spot for if, him? <laughs> if, if he
3: lands in Boston, I let's let's just let's give up.
0: Right now, that Lakers pick is looking like it's going to convey to the Sixers. Right. So.
3: Okay, so just hypothetical if he were to land on the Boston Celtics, he would be the most promising big man they've
0: had since Parish. Sounds about right to me. I yeah. mean, he's certainly more promising than Al Jefferson. It was quite promising at the time. Um, I like Phoenix for him as well. I like what they're doing. They have a lot of young talent. I think plug in eight in there. That could be nice. I like him for Dallas Sharks.
1: Do you like him for Dallas? I know you like Mo Obama there, though. I think I'm a Jackson guy. The, the tough thing with Dallas is they're pretty mm. much starting over. Like, in two years, probably, the guy left this roster is Dennis Smith. So I don't know how many veterans will be left for Aiton in two years from now.
3: Are you willing to wait for for either Aiton or Bagley or, or Bomba for that matter? Like, are you willing to wait to see their development
1: out as a Mavs fan? See, to me, with a young point guard, you kind of want a more sure thing next to him at center. Like, we saw with Noel how that worked out. I'm more of a sure thing guy. Like, give me Jackson, move him and Smith going forward. That's the kind of guy I like in Dallas. So we're going to look into our crystal ball right here. That's in Dallas with Sharks
0: here with us because of the power of podcast magic. I feel it. To take a look at Marvin Bagley, Duke forward prospect, to find out who he is now and what he's going to be five years from now. He's putting out big time numbers, 21 points a game, 11 rebounds, two assists, one block. Missed his game earlier this week. But he's number one on a lot of people's boards, but it seems like here we're not quite as high on him as a lot of people are. Danny, with Bagley, what are your reservations? You know, what what do you need answered for him to like to
1: really elevate to the next level? Let's talk about this devastating Brandon Wright comparison, though. I want to hear this.
3: I, look, yeah. I when I watch him play, I, I'm just like, okay, well, Brandon Wright was a top five pick in 2008. Brandon, right, man. And, you know, sweet hook shot. It's probably one of the sweetest in the game. Like, he has such <laughs> a long wingspan and it looks so good, but that's just kind of what he maxed out as. Like, you didn't really see him really develop <laughs> too much on the defensive end, and there wasn't ever really much more than that on the offensive end. And so, right now, when I see him as like this devastating kind of mid post threat, that's all I can see.
0: You know what I'm worried about with him, Sharks? He doesn't use
1: his right hand. He only uses his left hand around the rim. There you go. I mean, there's definitely some Randall-ish stuff in his game. Really just no defense. I mean, he doesn't really block shots. He's got a a seven-foot wingspan. I disagree with you there, Can he block shots, though? (laughs)
0: Look, okay. With Bagley, he can D up. I mean, he's touted, though, as like a high-end defensive player, which he's definitely not that, but... He can defend, and the reason why he's not that high-end guy is he's not quite long enough, not quite strong enough to defend the bigger big guys, and on the perimeter, he's good, and I think he can be versatile, but I think you might have said this last week, Charks, where he's maybe more like a Nerlens-Noel type on defense, which is good, but
1: not great. Well, the thing is, Nerlens could block shots. like Bagley, not only doesn't, he doesn't have the wingspan, there's a lot of times he doesn't really make the defensive plays either. He kind of counts on Wendell Carter to defend for him, and that's not great either. So I just worry that, like with Aiden, sometimes Aiden doesn't make the play, but he has the arms at least to be in the right position. Bagley is really undersized lengthwise.
3: Sharks had written about Bagley earlier for the ringer, and one point that he made that was pretty interesting was that he projects as a five in the NBA, but his best defensive skills are probably defending in space in the perimeter mm-hmm. and not as a guy who's going to be a traditional rim protector. So I can't really think of that many parallels. Like, I guess Julius Randle is probably, as we mentioned earlier. Great rebounder
0: one. who's okay spacing the floor but not quite right. what you want, who sometimes is great defensively. Sometimes you're like, why do we have this guy out here? So is that, is that guy worth you know a, a top five pick? I don't think I'd have him in my top four right now, maybe five, but Mm -hmm. I worry about him. We're talking about defense here, but also offensively, he's shooting 35% from three, which is fine, but he's also shooting only 62% from the free throw line. In high school, he was not a productive three-point shooter. I don't know. I mean, that's such an important part for, like, we look back at 2015 for any player you need to be able to space the floor offensively, and he can. I just don't know if, if he's going to do it at the level you need to that you're banking on. To me, he he could end up becoming a big stats guy on a bad team type of player, which is appealing. I can see that,
1: too. And the other thing is, like, so, like, let's say he works on his three-point shot, but the strength of his game is in the paint. Like, he's a different player at the three-point line. He's not a great—he's an okay ball handler. i doesn't really pass the ball much. Pick him out of the paint. That's where he's really most effective. So you're really changing who he is. And you're changing and he's being drafted high because of what he did in college, but he probably can't do those things in the NBA as much.
3: Yeah. That that Michael Beasley comparison from a couple weeks back, mm. Sean Fantasy changed my
0: life. Five years from now, is he like the best version of Beasley, which that's not a bad thing. Right. Beasley's a guy who scored 19 right. points per game before, had a quite impressive sophomore season in the NBA.
1: Is that okay? I mean, you cool with that? The other thing too is like Beasley's playing with KP or he was. Like if Badly can go somewhere with a unicorn who can kind of space the floor for him and block shots for him and do what he can do best, if he can find that perfect spot, maybe everything else works out for him. Right.
0: Funny thing is, is you know, you're mentioning find him a unicorn to play with. but I think a lot of people view him as a unicorn. And I think that's where expectations might not be met moving forward with him.
1: So like he's almost an anti-unicorn. And not in a bad way, but whatever the opposite of a unicorn is, that's what Bagley could be. Like a polar, I don't even know. So an anti-unicorn would basically be a, a, a horse <laughs> with
3: its horn sticking, <laughs> retracting Whoa. into its eye. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> I know what you're I saying. Say- <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying is he's got to be good, but he might not be a great player that a lot of people are expecting to get based on, a, on his numbers, based on the hype. Based on his draft positioning where you might be wishing that you took the safer guy like a Jaron Jackson. You might be saying, damn it, if only we won the friggin' lottery and could have ended up with DeAndre Ayton or Doncic. That's exactly where
3: I was going with that horse okay. analogy.
1: And the other thing too, um, I was watching a telecast and Ayton calls himself the Black Mermaid. That'd be a great name for back. actually. Wait, hold this on. is news to me. Hold on. I think Bill Walton was saying it, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but he kept calling Ayton the Black Mermaid. I'm searching this on Twitter right now. The Black
3: Mermaid is phenomenal. Yeah.
0: I'm seeing it right now. Yep.
3: That was a real thing? Yeah. So with Bagley, what do you guys think is the best possible situation for him in terms of team fit?
1: I was thinking like just in terms of immediate fit would be Memphis playing with uh, Gasol and Conley. And like Bagley could be like a really good version of Michael Green. Like Gasol spaces the floor, anchors the defense, then he has a veteran point guard. They're going to be a bad team this year. I don't know. I like him on Atlanta. Good developmental situation. Interesting. I like the
0: coaching staff there, assuming they stick around moving forward. I think Atlanta- I'm not sure about him and Collins though, as a
1: fit long term.
3: Yeah, that's worrisome to me. Like you're you're pairing him with Collins, and that means, you know, you have two very athletic guys, very skilled offensive players, but they kind of overlap in that sense, and neither of them can really protect the rim. A little dicey. Mm. It's tough to find a good fit. It that, it's tough you know? to find a good fit, which is why like my idea would be throw him on the magic, have him play alongside Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac. That's like interesting. A, a okay. bunch of long-limbed, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. help rotation defenders to help him out.
0: I don't love him on Suns, don't love him yeah, on no. the Kings, don't love him on Dallas, Boston, Cleveland. Not a lot of great spots for him, but he's going to go high. Now we're going to get to the Chow Down, which is Danny Chow's look at the prospects that are overlooked. It's also the name of his food articles that he does on ringer.com and the name is so good that we're using it twice. Danny Chow is going to give his take on the player who should be a top 10 pick, but nobody's talking about him as such.
3: So this is a guy I'm really, really high on. Uh, Lonnie Walker out of Miami. He's 6'4", 205 pounds, 6'10 wingspan. He kind of fits the mold of exactly what you're looking for in terms of like this kind of 3 and D athlete that every team is coveting right now. I think he has a really solid frame that can get stronger in a couple of years. He kind of fell down a lot of big boards because he had a really awful start to the season. I kind of want to chalk that to him recovering from a torn meniscus that he had over the summer last year. So I'm I'm kind of willing to give him the benefit of the doubt with that. Ever since he picked up the slack for the team since Bruce Brown, another guy who could possibly be a 3 and D guy drafted in the first round, Bruce Brown went down with a broken foot, I believe, right? Yeah. Likely out for the whole season. Yeah. Ever since Brown went down, Lonnie Walker's kind of taken his game to the next level. He's averaging 17 points, hitting 38% of his threes, three rebounds, three assists, a block, a steal. Those are really outstanding numbers. And he's a guy I'm excited about on both ends of the floor. You could kind of pigeonhole him into that Avery Bradley type of guy who's chasing guys around screens and kind of being a pest. I think his 6'10 wingspan is going to be huge for guarding guys who are maybe A little bit bigger than him, but it's on his offense that I'm really kind of intrigued about what he can do.
0: Do you buy the jumper? I mean, I do. He, he's shooting, I believe, 33% from three, but you think it's thirty four, yeah, 34%. Yeah. He shot 39% in, in a, the EYBL of the right. high school level, but only 68% from the line mm-hmm. at, in high school. I wonder if he's actually somewhere in between as a shooter, right. maybe more, he's like the 35% range, which is fine for mm-hmm. a teenager. So you are not as worried about that because based on his mechanics and projecting forward.
3: Yeah, but okay. mechanics look good. A guy who actually has similar mechanics as Victor Oladipo, which might be a pretty good comparison for him. Ooh, Um, interesting. Yeah, Yeah, and he's a guy who is very confident with his shot. Like, any place inside half-court, he's a threat to launch, which is very huge for his future potential. Because right now, I would say one of the biggest things holding him back in terms of his offense is that he doesn't really have any advanced dribbling moves. If he's not beating you on his first step, which is very good, but if he's not beating you there, he's often settling for floaters or he's taking, you know, bad pull-up jumpers. But he has really good body control once he gets into the lane.
0: He finishes with both hands as well. Exactly. He, amb- so he can dunk with both hands yeah. for that matter too.
3: Exactly. Mm-hmm. There was that play against Louisville, I believe. He was driving. He absorbed contact jumping up, kind of turned his back towards the basket, went up with one hand, switched to the other, and banked it in. On a lap? Okay, yeah, yeah, I was just like, that, that, was, dope. that was
0: incredible. Charks, you were the small ball king.
1: How does Lonnie Walker fit in today's small ball NBA? I mean, the tools are there. Miami's a pretty interesting team. I'll actually throw in a real deep cut for you guys from Miami. I watched the uh, Duke game before we did this podcast. And a guy to impress you a lot, speaking of small ball, was Anthony Lawrence Jr. 6'7", he guarded Marvin Bagley, He shoots 40% from three. 6'7", 185, kind of the wingish body. I think with Miami... It's tough because they have so many combo-ish guards in their roster. They don't really have a true point guard. That maybe if Walker was somewhere else where he could kind of get the ball in the rhythm, he might be a little better, too. That could help him.
0: I'm worried, personally. A guy that I loved in the 2016 draft was Timothy Luau. Mm -hmm. And I had him ranked in the top 10, which looks crazy now. I had him ranked ninth that year. I see a lot of similarities with Lonnie Walker and Timothy Luau for better and for worse. I love Luau's intensity and defensively. There's really an energizer on that end of the floor and can also see that with Lonnie Walker as well. But what's held back Luau is he's a good defender, but he's kind of lean. He's not right. he's not super physical. You know, he's not, even though he's six foot seven, he's not able to defend like bigger guys because he's so lean. I think Lonnie Walker's kind of lean too. So maybe Avery Bradley you know, is kind of his lane defensively, which would be great, you know, if he can lock down guards. But if he also needs, and which has been the problem with Luau, that shot to be for real. right? And I'm not sure that it is. I mean, I wonder how much his percentages are down based on shot selection, forcing shots early in the clock. But looking at his spot-up numbers on synergy... He takes some bad
1: shots for sure. He does take
0: some bad shots, but also on synergy, his catch-and-shoot numbers aren't great either. Shoots 29% on catch-and-shoot shot attempts, which isn't good. I think the potential's there, but I wonder like if it's the same thing with like Justice Winslow, same thing with Stanley Johnson, and so many guys that come through where it's like, well, the shot looks good, but the percentages aren't great, they're just okay, or the other way around, mm-hmm. the percentages are good, but the shot looks bad. I wonder how much of it is just projecting forward with him, but I think he has good touch. I have some optimism, but I also have some questions with him.
3: I just think he's one of those guys who is like, okay, He definitely has the potential to be something more than just a standard cookie cutter three and D player. Three and D plus, like he could become that. Exactly. Yeah. There's
0: definitely a possible outcome with that. I think I don't know about top ten, but late lottery for sure. I'm right there with you, Dan. And
3: there are a bunch of guys in his mold and kind of in his lane as well, who are probably going to be drafted in you know the mid to late first round early second round who are all just going to be wings because the league just has such a scarcity that
0: it just needs to be met. Charks, what Danny just said about the scarcity of wings in the league, does that raise the value of guys like him in your eyes? based on the fact that they're so hard to find, based on draft value? Or, or do you still look specifically at the players and their individual talent, kind of regardless of the positional need in the NBA?
1: No, I think no question it has to come into your account. Because, I mean, a lot of it, if you look at the last couple drafts, is like, if you're drafting bigger players, it's like, does my team have minutes for these guys? And if they don't have minutes for them, how good can they be? Like, is a good example of that. Charlotte has, like, four or five centers now, And do you really want him at the four? Then it's like, where are the minutes for him? So like, the guy's got to have minutes to have a role in the NBA. So there's going to be a lot of five, I think, right now. We're going to start following these mock drafts because nobody needs fives.
0: Before we get out of here, we want to share with you our cheat sheet. Not everyone has time to watch the NBA and follow young players, so if you want to double dip this weekend and watch two prospects, check out Texas and Oklahoma. It's an early afternoon game with Mo Bamba from Texas, Trey Young from Oklahoma. David and Goliath. Yeah, it's going to be a good Literally, Trey Young, you know, as my good friend Jonathan Gavoni from ESPN slash Draft Express tweeted this morning, hasn't really been too good lately. He's missed his last 16 three-pointers he's attempted. 7 for 41 yeah. in his last like 6 games or something really like that. Really struggling. Oklahoma's 2 and 7 in their last 9 games. Young has 66 wow. assists to 58 turnovers over that span. Danny is Trey Young magic starting to wear off. You know what? It might be, but at the same time I can think of so many
3: teams in that like late lottery stage that are just like, "All right, let
0: it let it, <laughs> let them keep following." Let him keep falling. What are you watching for this weekend, John?
1: Well, I mean, I'll be at all-star weekend, but I think the Texas game, one guy to watch for Texas OU is uh, Kerwin Roach. He's one of the better athletes in the country. He's a fantastic 6'5", dunk contest kind of guy. And he'll be guarding Young. And with Young, the Big 12 is a tough league, man. And OU doesn't have too much around him. So you had to expect a little, but he was going to fall back to the earth just because there's too many good teams, too many good coaches, too many good defenses for... Just to show he was on to continue all season.
0: And like you said, Sharks, Oklahoma also faces Kansas on Monday. Schedule really doesn't get any easier for them moving forward. Um, so I'll be looking forward to that, seeing how Trey Young bounces back after kind of a rough stretch these past couple weeks. But right now, we need some grades from our producer, Isaac Lee.
2: Hey, so I'm going to start with Kevin. You threw out some like synergy numbers earlier and I am very pro analytics. I think that's a that's a plus for you. But then earlier in the show you showed your homerism by wanting a prospect to be taken by the Boston Celtics. So you get a B for Boston.
0: Just being real, man. It's a great spot for DeAndre Ayton. Just being real. (laughs)
1: Facts. It's a great spot for everyone.
2: (laughs) Charks, you introduced us to the DeAndre Ayton Black Mermaid nickname, which was fantastic. Shouts to Bill Walton. And then you uh, took a deep dive later on in the show on this Miami player where I just zoned out. I was transported to another dimension because I I didn't understand who you were talking about. Anthony Lawrence. Sorry, I zoned out again. I just fell asleep and (laughs) I woke up. Charks, you get a B plus from me. I'll take it. And finally, Danny... It's your first time on this show Your attempt at describing the anti-unicorn With the horse With the <laughs> inverted horns or whatever you're trying to do That was a valiant effort And then at one point You talked about Charks in the third person As if he wasn't on the phone with you Like <laughs> Charks earlier this week Wrote about this You know um, Yo. Completely ignoring his presence
1: To be fair Sometimes I'm third person myself I'll just say it <laughs> There you go. Does that, that, is quite does that change bizarre. the
0: grade, Isaac? Come on. Uh,
2: I guess then that becomes a bonus point because you're playing into uh, Charks' actual persona. So,
3: Look, I've been his editor for like two years now. So we, we're like this.
0: It's fingers are crossed right My now. fingers are crossed.
2: Yes. You know what, Danny? I was going to give you like a C plus, but then wow. I think this last conversation brings you up to an A.
3: Wow.
0: You get an A-plus from yeah. me, Danny. I'll take that participation award. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for listening to Draft Class. We'll be back next Friday and every Friday up until the NBA draft on June
1: 21st. And I want to say thank you to Danny Chow for joining us on the show, and he'll be back in the coming weeks. Thank you. Again, please check out all our NBA content on the ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like this
0: show, give us a five star rating and a raving review on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Class dismissed.